cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love. We can also spread that love by serving others. This is like an exciting day. It's like Groundhog's Day and the Super Bowl and everything all right, all right together. There's one other exciting thing I want to just talk about in the life of the church, and then we'll have our sermon for the morning. Um, this week, we sent out the 2019 uh, giving statement, so you should have received those electronically. If you did not, let us know. We'll, we'll remedy that. Uh, but I just want to give you a big picture view so we can celebrate this together. Our church is kind of doing two big things right now. One is just the week in and week out, what we call the ministry and mission budget, the annual budget, the general budget. We call it the ministry and mission budget. And we're also doing Rooted. We're uh, collecting contributions, commitments to help us buy land on South Main Street for a more permanent home for the church. So typically when you do two things like that, it's possible that one of them will do really well and one of them will not do really well. Uh, But what we're celebrating today is that they both did really well in 2019. So uh, the ministry and mission budget, the congregation, you guys, me, us, the congregation, we, uh, we gave more than we budgeted, and the staff and ministry leaders spent less than we budgeted. So for the eighth year in a row, we're an eight-year-old church, for the eighth year in a row, we have a surplus on the ministry and mission budget, which we'll use to do some good and wonderful thing. Ten percent of, if you give a dollar to Lake Forest, a dime of it goes to missions, just off the top, and that includes surpluses and everything. So that, that's what's happening on that front. On the rooted front, uh, we've just seen people be really uh, steadfast and really aggressive in trying to pay off and pay down their commitments to rooted. Um, so much so, we anticipate the board is going to make a decision. We're having to get the land rezoned to have a church there. Um, the board is going to is slated to vote up or down on that at the end of April. Then we have 30 days to close. We anticipate, based on the money we've set aside over the years, we've set aside a fair amount of money for this over the years, and what's already come into rooted, we anticipate being able to pay cash for the land, and then we will take rooted contributions. We're like six months into a three-year campaign. We'll take those rooted contributions to refill our set-aside fund so that as we head into the next phase of this, we'll be in a good financial position to do so. But all that to say, like 2019 in these ways went really well. As a church, we don't spend a ton of time talking about the finances and all that kind of stuff because it's going well. <laughs> and uh, so it's good we just get to focus on the, the fun stuff, the, the, the God-changing people's lives stuff. But part of how he does that is through the ways that you all give and give so generously. So thank you to God and thank you to how he moved in so many of your hearts to be generous in 2019. So well done, I say. Let's do it again this year. That would be great. Well, now I have to do the sermon. The, uh, we're continuing the life of King David. We've been studying King David. He's one of the central figures of the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. King David is described in the Bible as being someone after God's own heart. Acts chapter 13, 22 says this, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, 
I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So being a man or a person after God's own heart. Now, David was thoroughly human. Don't be confused. Very human. And yet, he is described as being someone after God's own heart. So whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're just here exploring the claims of Jesus, exploring the Christian faith, what we've been doing is diving in together to see what God teaches us through the life of King David. Our passage for today is about David and Mephibosheth, what Chad read for us earlier. And if you don't have a Bible, you're always free to take the ones in the chair as our gift to you. We would love you to take one. The account of David and Mephibosheth reminds me of something that Jesus taught. Jesus taught this in Matthew 5, 44. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, believe it or not, that is not easy. For us to follow this teaching of Jesus, we have to grow in our faith. We have to lean in more to Jesus. Often the teachings of Jesus do this. They show us something, something higher than what we're capable of our, on our own, and thus they force us to come in closer to Jesus, to rely more on Jesus, to have Him change our hearts and our minds so that we can, in this case, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Notice two parts of the command here. The first is that Jesus kind of gives us the big picture, love your enemy. And then he finds a way to make it really practical. Pray for those who persecute you. Because I could imagine a person who would want to do one or the other, right? Like, I'll do nice things for you. I'll pray for you, but a little bit begrudgingly because I really don't love you. Or someone who might say, I love you deep down in my heart. I really do. And that's where it stops. But Jesus is calling his followers to both of those things. This is the way that leads to life, Jesus says. Love people, even so going so far as to love your enemies, deep down in your heart. Let Jesus do the heart-level work in your life. And then make that love visible. Do actual kind things for people, including people who do you wrong. And Jesus points out, most importantly, praying for them, praying for those who persecute you. So do you find Jesus' words here challenging? Yes, it is okay to say yes. I find them challenging. They're very challenging. Jesus is saying that you are, and I are called to love across the dividing lines. It's not just you, and, you, you or me, we huddle with the people we already love and say, well, these are the people I love. And this is as big as this circle is going to get. Jesus is calling us to love across dividing lines, to love deep in our hearts and to love with our actions, to believe it and to act on it, including to people who are our enemies. There are so many dividing lines in our world. There are dividing lines in our families, dividing lines in our neighborhoods, at our schools, on our campuses, in our world. How do we proceed with all these dividing lines? How do we proceed if we have come to hate one person or a group of people? Or how do we proceed if everyone around us assumes that we probably do hate that person or those groups of people? How do we proceed with all these dividing lines between ethnic differences, regional differences, 
among liberals and conservatives, how do we proceed with all these divisions? This gets us back to 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, where King David says this, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So if this is your first week, I'm going to give you a summary of who all the people in this verse are, but this summary is only for the new people. Wink, wink. So you've got King David. He's the king of God's people, the the king of Israel. They had a king previously. His name was Saul. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and David were close friends. They were what we called two weeks ago, soul friends. But the problem is Saul hates David. He actually tries to kill David multiple times. But in the end, Saul and his sons, including Jonathan, die in battle. And so David becomes the king. So Saul did not like David. Saul multiple times tried to kill David. And I imagine the people at that time figured, and David probably hates Saul right back. And yet here we have David asking this question after God's own heart, wanting to honor his friend Jonathan, saying, is there anyone left in Saul's household to whom I can show kindness? Do you see what he's doing? He's reaching out across the dividing line to show kindness reaching out across the dividing line of the man who had tried to kill him multiple times, the old king, can he show kindness to anyone in that man's family? So I'm about to ask you a question. Usually I end my sermons with a question. I'm just warning you that the sermon ain't almost over. I'm giving you the question, and and then I'm going to keep going. We're going to walk through the passage reflecting on the question. You'll still have plenty of time to get your chip and dip ready for later. I wore my Davidson shirt, so there's no question who I'm rooting for in the Super Bowl today. The question I would like you to reflect on is, how can I show kindness to a person whom I hate or who those around me assume I hate? Now, you might say, well, I don't hate anybody. Well, that's fine. The sermon next week will be on being honest with ourselves. (laughs) So let me try to put a little color around that. Um, uh, how, How can I show kindness? Think about David's situation. How can I show kindness to someone who is my enemy, whether my real enemy or my perceived enemy? How can I show kindness to someone I rather dislike? or or to a group of people? How can I show kindness across a dividing line? Whether it be a dividing line in your family, whether it be a dividing line in your neighborhood, or at your school, or on your campus, a dividing line that gets reiterated to you through through social media or, or media generally, or maybe in our world, somewhere in our world today. How can you, how can I show kindness across one of these lines of division? Does that make sense, trying to put a little color around it? Because this is what happens to David. David starts by asking a similar question. He says, whatever bad blood existed between me and Saul, whatever hatred the people of the time think I harbor towards Saul, I'm going to put all that aside and show kindness to a member of Saul's family. 
And let's watch how this plays out and pray that God might do something similar in our lives. So verse 3, David summons a guy named Ziba and asks him this question. The king asks, is there no one still alive from the house of David, or the house of Saul, to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. So note David's persistence in asking the question. This is the second time he's asked a similar question. I hope that you and I will be persistent in asking a similar question. Because it's not our default setting to show that kind of kindness. It requires intentionality. It requires spiritual growth on our part to show this kind of kindness. We need God's help. We need God's grace to take meaningful steps in this direction. David's desire is to show kindness to Saul's family. And it's not a passing desire. It's becoming an imperative. He keeps asking about it. He wants an answer. And in fact, there are many living members of Saul's family, but Ziba points him to Mephibosheth. Now, I should just point out, I have no idea if I'm saying that name right. But as a pastor, you just say names in the Bible with confidence, and and most people don't question it. So we know a few things about Mephibosheth from other passages in 2 Samuel. You could find these passages on your own if you'd like to, uh, to find them. Just type Mephibosheth into a, like a, go on a Bible website or Bible app, type Mephibosheth in the search engine. That's easier said than done, but you could do it. Type Mephibosheth in the search engine. So for instance, we know that Mephibosheth was five years old when his father Jonathan was killed. We know that his caretaker fled for her safety and for his safety, but in doing so, she accidentally dropped Mephibosheth, and that's where he lost the use of both of his feet and presumably his legs at age five. We also know that when King David summoned Mephibosheth, he assumed he was about to be killed, right? That the new king was going to eliminate the old king's family. That's pretty standard operating procedure in, in, throughout history. So verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to honor him. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. So now the moment of truth has arrived. Mephibosheth is in the king's presence. Maybe he came under his own strength. Maybe he was helped there by others. But he's there assuming he is about to be killed. This is when I I think David realizes the gravity of his request. He asks to show kindness to a member of Saul's family, and now that person is right in front of him. God brought him exactly what he asked for. How is he going to respond? Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So what is the first thing that David tries to establish with Mephibosheth? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Could we learn from that? Sure. That this interaction is not going to follow the script you are expecting. We could learn from David's persistence in asking the question. We can also learn from the fact when the encounter actually happened, David established, do not be afraid. 
I'm going to show you kindness. And indeed he does. What he does is he restores to Mephibosheth all the land that belonged to his grandfather. And then, as you, or you may remember this from the passage, he actually gives Mephibosheth all the workers he'll need to farm the land. And then he ends with this little line, you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. Now, who always eats at your table? My family. Your family is who always eats at your table. We got a three-year-old and a nine-month-old, so they don't always eat, but we at least make them sit there and listen to us tell old stories. So what is David doing when he says, you will always eat at my table? He's welcoming Mephibosheth into his family. And here's my little pastor question for you. I actually wonder if he planned to do that or if he just offered it in the moment. And the reason I ask this is, I don't know the answer. The reason I'm asking is, it was clear he was going to restore the land because he pretty well had the plan for how that was going to work. So what I don't know, what we, what we don't know, is whether he had planned to offer Mephibosheth to bring Mephibosheth into his family, or if it just came to him in the moment. If he was moved by the moment and listened to the inner promptings of God the Holy Spirit and extended that offer. Someone at 8.15 asked me, does it matter? And I said, no, it doesn't matter. I'm just, this is what pastors do. We ask questions that you can't always know the answer to. What, what matters is Mephibosheth has a father once again. Mephibosheth has a father once again. So verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth is not just grateful, he's in fact stunned, and we get an insight into Mephibosheth's view of himself. He sees himself as a a dead dog. He sees himself as something less than human and less than alive. And we don't know how he came to this view of himself, right? Was it his disability? Was it losing his father at age five? Did he just internalize what everybody else was thinking about him or saying about him? We don't know. But we see that life has taken a toll on Mephibosheth. The good news, though, is that Mephibosheth's view of himself is not what's most important in this account. The good news is your view of yourself or my view of you or your view of me or my view of me is not what's the most important thing in this account. In this account, it's King David's view of Mephibosheth that takes precedence over his view of himself. And so the passage ends with this wonderful sentence, and so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He saw himself as a dead dog, but King David said, no, you will come and eat at my table like one of my sons. So David is described as being someone after God's own heart, a man, a person after God's own heart. Perhaps part of why that's true is that in this example with Mephibosheth, he did what God does. The person who expected to be condemned was given a permanent place at the king's table. The person who said, I am a dead dog, was instead declared a child of the king. 
That's what David did. But the really good news is that's what God does. The person who expects to be condemned is given a permanent place at the king's table. And the person who thinks of themselves, I am a dead dog, thinks very lowly of themselves, is instead called a child of the king. When you and I expected condemnation through Jesus Christ, God offered us a permanent place at his table. And through Jesus Christ, God offers us our true identity, that whatever you think of yourself, whatever I think of myself, God says that through Jesus, what most defines us is that we are a child of the King of all creation. Jesus is welcoming us into God's family. And so now we have a Father who is in heaven, a heavenly Father. Jesus described God's family this way. This is in Luke chapter 14. He's telling a parable. He's telling a story about God's family. And he says, God's family is like a party. It's like a celebration. And this is the invite list. Luke 14, 21. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, God wants to celebrate with people who are overlooked. God wants to celebrate with people who may feel unwanted. God wants to celebrate with those who are beaten down by life. God wants to celebrate with those who need kindness. And then they take stock of the party and realize there's still a bunch of room left. And so they, the host says to the person throwing, you know, to, to his worker, he says, just go out and find anybody who wants to come. That sounds like you and I can fit that bar. Just find anybody who wants to come. And this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God towards you. This is the heart of God towards people who are on the other side of the dividing line from you. God has made room at His table. God has made room at His eternal celebration table. And don't come with your resume in hand because the honored guest was crucified. The the, the first people invited were shocked to be invited. So you and I don't need to come with our resumes and prove we deserve to be at this celebration. Instead, we are invited to bask in the joy of these words. Come and feast at the table as one of God's children. A permanent place at the table is not for the people who earn it. It's for family. Come and bask in the joy that you are invited into God's family. Day after day, if we have eyes to see it, we get a preview of what this banquet is going to be like. This is part of what mission trips do. You go to serve, but God will also use it to serve you in some very real ways because you will get to meet some of the people who are coming to that banquet. As you and I share a meal with men and women at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, as we join hands with other Christians, with other churches, Gethsemane Baptist, Davidson Presbyterian, as we take time to pray for our Access to Success kid that's featured each month. So each month at the info table, we talked about this about a year ago, but as a refresh, we get a card from Access to Success. Silas is the kid this month. Uh, This is one of our partner ministries, and we put them over on the info table. As we take time to pray for Silas, as we go and visit these kids, as these kids come to our country and visit us, 
As these things happen, we get more and more a view of this banquet, more and more a preview of what this is really going to be like. We get to meet some of the other guests as we join in God's mission of loving the people of this world. One day, as a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, one day you and I will be at an eternal banquet thrown at His honor. And you're going to look across the room, I'm going to look across the room, big room, lots of people. And you may see someone you didn't expect to be there. I will see someone, I'm just banking on it, I will see someone I did not expect to be there. Because I don't get to make the list. If we're really honest, you and I may see someone there who on earth we would have put on the enemies list. The I rather dislike list. So this is my, this is my uh, brilliant thought for the day. Eternity is a really long time to try and avoid somebody. Eternity is a really long time to try and avoid somebody. Plus, it's Jesus' party and He's probably not going to let you get away with it anyway. How much sweeter will it be if that relationship can start in this life? How much deeper, how much richer will that future moment be if you and I will cross the dividing line now? If you and I, by God's grace and with God's help, will reach out and show kindness now? Now, is any of this from the sermon today easy? No, it's not easy. (laughs) But it's good. It's not easy, but it's good. But let's not tear out of here and say, okay, I'm going to do this. Strap it on your back and make it happen. That's not the point. The point is, if we are going to be more drawn into this kind of a life, we have to be more drawn into a relationship with Jesus. We have to let Him change us, transform us, our heart and our mind, give us the love we don't have, the patience we don't have. Someone pointed out something interesting after the the last service. David asked two different questions. He says, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Anyone in Saul's family I can show kindness to, right? Can I cross this dividing line to show kindness? And then one of the times he asked, for Jonathan's sake. In other words, I love that person. I'm not sure I love all that. But can I walk across the dividing line because of, of it? It's complicated. That, that man, tried, Saul, tried to kill David. And now here he is wanting to show kindness to his family. So I say all that to say none of this is easy. <laughs> Following Jesus ain't easy but it's good. And you got the best person in the world to walk alongside you. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer.
Lord, I thank you for our congregation gathered here today. I thank you for each person. Each person you created have given each of us gifts and skills and knit an unspeakable value into us. Lord, we come in this room with so many joys and also hardships, so many things that are going well and so many things that are not. Lord, I pray however we view ourselves and our situation, that we would hear the words of Jesus who invites us to God's table forever. who offers us a new identity, an identity as God's children. And Lord, I pray we would receive that identity, hold on a little less to our view of ourselves so that we could hold on a little more to who you say we are. Lord, I pray we would be overcome as we see the kindness you have shown us through Jesus Christ and that we might in turn turn to those near us and show them kindness. And ultimately, Lord, that we might even turn to those who are on the other side of a dividing line and show kindness to them as well. Draw us closer that we may love others more deeply. Lord, during these closing songs, as we go from this place, I pray that those of us who really do struggle with our identity and who we are would open up our hearts and minds to you and invite you in to define us and our lives in a new way, a good way, a redemptive way. We pray it all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship together with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.